all for being here. I'm, I'm very excited to be able to bring the word today. Um, I, I am very, very excited to dive into some of the content that we're going to be getting into today. And so we've been walking together through the story of David, studying his story, studying his successes and his mistakes. Endeavoring to understand and engage in God's process, not for his life, but for our life. Have you know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? His principles don't change, but his patterns do. And so by studying and reading the Old Testament and applying it to our lives, we're able to better understand what is God up to in my life today. How many know that we live in the New Testament? The New Testament is still being written. Every single day that you live and walk and speak, God is continuing to write the New Testament. And so God takes his principles from the old and he brings them into the new. And his patterns change, but his principles do not. So that's why, in my opinion, the Old Testament will always be relevant. Try that over here. The Old Testament will always be relevant because it hides within its ancient text the secrets of God. So before I dive in today, if you don't mind, can I just pray quickly? Usually I pray after we read some text, but I would like to pray first. Is that all right with you all? We break our routine just a wee bit. So if you wouldn't mind just praying with me. But Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. Lord, I speak for myself and on behalf of this congregation that we need a teacher. We need someone to show us the way. And so, Lord, we ask today that you will teach us and feed us with your word. Lord, I ask that you use me towards these ends. Help me to speak clearly and accurately. Lord, we put our trust in your word that it will do what it has always done. That it will bring life to us. And it will lift us up. Lord, we promise you all the glory and the honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. So I'm going to read today from... The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. We're going to begin reading today in verse 20. 1 Samuel, chapter 25, beginning in verse 20. So last week, we studied the story of David and Nabal. So David is still living as an outlaw in the wilderness. He and his ragtag group of outlaws slash mercenary warriors are living day to day, week to week. They're living the rough life out in the desert. I've been to some of these areas where these men lived, and I can tell you that it almost certainly was a very, very difficult life. And so David takes it upon himself to protect shepherds who work for a very wealthy businessman named Nabal. No one asked him to do this. He did it of his own Volition, so that those shepherds would be safe, the sheep would be safe. And so the story tells us that David and his men stood guard. They stood post day and night 
And they were so thorough and diligent in their work. Nabal's shepherds said that David and his men were like a wall of protection around us both day and night. And when they gave us this service, they didn't extort us. They didn't shake us down. They didn't ask for anything. They risked their lives to protect us for no reason other than it was the right thing to do. And so Nabal is about to shear his sheep, which is the harvest time. And so have you know that uh, when we've got livestock in the fields, that's great. But when we go to harvest what that livestock brings to the market, that's the payday. We've been working all year to get to right here. And so there's a massive harvest that is coming. It was traditional during harvest time to share freely and to have a feast because many people would come to help gather the harvest. And so they came to work for you and you would pay them, but then I would feed you as a sign of generosity and gratitude to the Lord for him blessing the harvest. And so David sends word to Nabal and says, Nabal, me and my guys, we're pretty hungry. And we were protecting you and we helped ensure that you could have a great harvest. And so we would like to eat. We'll eat, we'll take, we'll receive whatever it is that you have for us. So he didn't request porterhouse. He didn't request a ribeye. He just said, we'll eat whatever it is that you would give us out of the generosity of your heart. But Nabal, look at your neighbor and say, Nabal. Nabal is a pretty nasty guy. There we go. I think I heard some ring go away. Thank you, Tim. Um, Nabal is a nasty guy, and he sends word to David, and he's just so nasty. And he rejects David. He doesn't just reject him. He insults David. So what was David going to do? David looked at his men, and he said, Every man, strap on your sword. So David sent about 10 men to go speak to Nabal. But when Nabal rejected him, he spoke to 400. And he said, mount up. We're going over there to deal with Nabal. And so the word gets around that David is about to ride over to Nabal's house and commit just a little mini genocide. Not like a big one, just a little one. And so... Nabal, God bless him, had a godly wife whose name was Abigail. And Abigail understands that David is going to come here and he's going to wipe us out. And so she takes responsibility for the outcome of the story onto herself. And so last week we read right up to the point where Abigail gets word that Nabal has rejected David. And then Abigail goes into action so we've split this story in two parts part one is from David's perspective and we're going to pick up part two today that is from Abigail's perspective so we're going to do quite a bit of reading but since you're good godly word fearing folk I believe that you'll you'll do okay to read just a few verses with me you think you can handle it I mean what a novel idea to read the scripture in church on Sunday so it was As she, speaking of Abigail, rode on the donkey, that she went down under the cover of the hill, and there was David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. 
Now here's what you need to know is that Abigail is not alone. She has saddled her donkey. She has many of her helpers, her employees with her, and they have packed a very significant amount of food. So there's meat, there's grain, there's sweets, there's wine, there's bread. She has brought an abundance of food as an offering. So without telling her husband, without concerning him with it, she gathers up all this food and she says, we got to go meet David because if somebody don't stop him, he's going to wipe us out. So she's coming down the hill and then she meets David. I'll let you imagine one other time in David's life where he went down into a valley and great big amazing things happened. And so as she's coming down, she hears David saying this, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow Nabal has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So that's kind of King James talk, but David is swearing an oath saying this, God do worse to me if when I get over there, I don't kill every one of them. You got to be careful when you make warriors mad. Because they may be nice and they may be poetic for a little while, but eventually you're going to get the warrior side. You mess with the bull, you get the, you get the horns. Now when Abigail saw David... She dismounted quickly from her donkey. She fell on her face before David and she bowed down to the ground so that she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and please hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so he is. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, I did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord... As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with my own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as the Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall, not be, shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you nor offense 
to the heart of my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. If it's okay with you, I'd like to stop right there. Look at your neighbor and say, my Lord, how many times did she say Lord? So the story continues to play out through the rest of that chapter. I strongly encourage you when you get home to read the rest of it. We're going to touch on some of that as we close out today. But we've been talking about the life of David living in the wilderness. We've been extrapolating principles from his story. We've titled our sermon series, Wanted, Dead, or Alive, because David was, in fact, wanted, dead, or alive by King Saul. He was living the life of an outlaw. But have you know that just because people reject you and just because you're on the run doesn't mean that God isn't processing you, walking with you, teaching you because you might be an outlaw, but if God wants you to be king, he will be working steadfast in your favor, not just to get you to the throne, but to put the crown in the heart of a king in your heart so that when you get to the throne that he has prepared for you, you won't wreck your life, you'll keep your life because God is always preparing you for what he has prepared for you. So in week one, talking about David, we talked about principle of pain. We've talked about the principle of promotion in degrees. We've talked about the principle of patience. Today, I want to teach you about the principle of petition. Look at your neighbor and say, petition. So we know this, that David and his men needed food. Nabal rejected his request for food, and then he insulted David's history his lineage, and his character. And so he rejected David. How many you know that when you're living as an outlaw and you're innocent, trying to do the right thing, it's a special kind of sting when people accuse you and insult you and degrade you for something that you didn't even do. It's one thing to deserve rejection from other people. It's another thing to be rejected even when you don't deserve it. I don't know about you, but if I was David and I was lean, mean, womanizing, giant slaying machine and somebody insulted me, I would strap on my sword and I would ride down there and I would have my vengeance. But I don't know about you, I'm starting to detect a pattern where David has opportunities to do it himself. And God in his graciousness and God in his intentionality, he keeps protecting David from making a mess. And so many of us, we could identify with being a David or being like King David. Have you ever been blamed for something that says, I got blamed for it, but I didn't do it? There's just a few honest folk in here. Yes, ma'am. Now, I'm not talking about when you went before the judge and you said, I didn't do it. Some of us can say, that was me. Innocent, I didn't do it, judge, that was not me. But I'm talking about when family accuses you, when mom and dad accuse you, when brothers and sisters reject you, and you say, I didn't do that, I'm not against you, I'm for you. You know, sometimes people put a label on you, not for what you've said or for what you've done, they just put a label on you because they just don't flat out like you. You know, people, they'll talk about you when you ain't around. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe because some of y'all done that. We'll just pretend y'all are over here. But, you know, sometimes at the office, you know when you walk into a room, you didn't hear it, but you felt it. Y'all was all talking about me, and everybody starts looking in their coffee. 
Mm-hmm. And you feel a little bit of what David feels when you feel that rejection. But now let's turn up the volume a little bit. That's day to day. Imagine having a dream in your heart. Imagine having a word from the Lord. From when you were young, God wants you to be a king. And every day that you've lived, you've done your best to put one foot in front of another. You know, when you have a calling and a purpose, there is a weight and there is a burden that comes on your life. Because if God's ever told you he wants you to be a king, it's hard to settle and stay a shepherd. Let me try that over here. If God has called you to be something great, it's hard to settle. Don't you know, isn't that how the word of the Lord works? When he speaks his word over you, it opens doors. It opens possibilities. It stirs up inspiration. You start to see things that I never thought I could see. Or you start to dream and imagine things that I've never seen or heard before. Only with God is it possible for a lowly shepherd boy that his own family don't want to acknowledge him, for God to look and say, that right there is who I want to be my king. I need to let somebody know today that you may feel like the low guy on the totem pole. You may feel like the lowest of the low. I'm watching a few sheep in a place that nobody cares about, but I want to remind somebody today that God sees you. And that you're you're not born into royalty, you're not born into purpose and destiny, you have those things because it was God who knew you and formed you. Your mom and daddy didn't give you purpose, uncle and auntie didn't give you purpose, God Almighty gives you purpose. And he has one for you no matter who you are, no matter where you are at. To get us ready for the promise God must process us it's not just what you get in life it's not just where you get in life it's how you get it because God cares far more about who you're becoming than what it is you are doing I'm gonna try that over here God cares far more about who you are becoming than he does what You are doing many of us many times we say if I could get the promotion if I could get to another level then all would be well and God says I don't care about what you're doing I care about who you're becoming that's why sometimes God will lead us into the wilderness God doesn't mind for you to suffer a little bit along the way he doesn't mind for you to go into sometimes a dark place a lonely place because here's what God wants to begin to teach you is that when all humanity turns its back on you when everything you've given is not enough when you say God I'm rejected I'm dejected I've tried my best in my dreams I can't reach them the the things I've been believing for and praying for they seem so far away God where are you in all of this that feels like a low place but let me tell you dear friend that is a blessed place because the reason why God sends you to the wilderness is to teach you and to show you that when people forsake you and people turn their back on you God never will even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death you'll never leave me I need to remind somebody today that God is with you 
and walking with you. But don't you know that we're like David? There's a lot of people that we would love to have their praise. We would love to have their acceptance. We would love to have their affirmation, their confirmation. We, there's some people we would love for them to give us security. There's some people that are wealthy businessmen and with a short email and the stroke of a pen, they could make you their employee and pay you a big old salary and most of your problems would go away overnight, it seems. There's sometimes we wish like, God, if they would just do it, I could have everything. Sometimes we believe if they would just love me, if they would just see in me what I feel like is in there, all would be well. I hate to inform you, but you know I love you enough, I'm going to tell you the truth. That's called idolatry. Because many of us will settle, I'm going to just use this as an example, a lot of times I'll settle for Pastor Joey's approval, I don't ever care if I have God's approval. I'm going to. There are some people in here. You've been going to people, looking for people, saying, Will you please just love me? Will you please just champion me? Will you please just believe in me? Will you please, will you please, will you please? You wanting them to be your God instead of God be your God. And so God is good enough to know this, that if Joey can give you the throne, then you're going to have to keep Joey and serve Joey and love Joey in order for you to stay on the throne. The reason why God starts taking people out of your life is not that they're bad people. Sometimes the demand that you put on people, God says, see, you can't have them now. I'm going to go over here. I love y'all. Y'all not helping me enough. I'm going to go over here. That sometimes it's the demand that you put on people that God says, well, you can't have them now because I'm not going to let them be your God. God loves you enough that he wants you to have the things that he has prepared for you. He wants them to be your things that he gave you. And here's how you know. That way when I get on my throne and the crown goes on my head, I know this, God put me here. If God put me here, God will keep me here. Did you know that when God does that, that's not to punish you? That's so God can empower you. Because when you know him and you know you can trust him and you can serve him and he will always come through for you, guess what? God has just empowered you that you can always keep your word. You can always tell the truth. You can always walk in love. You can always be generous because it's God who is empowering me to be this man. It is God who is empowering me to be this woman. And so then I don't have to bend or break because of people's approval. We ain't even got to the main text yet. I'm just having fun. But you know that along the way, we need some encouragement. The going gets tough. You know, when you're out in the desert and you're leading those 400 raggedy warriors, they like to fight. They probably cuss a little bit. Just rowdy rascals. And you ain't got nobody to go to. You're the one always having to encourage them. You're always giving, always giving, always giving, always following around and cleaning up their messes, solving their problems, arbitrating their disputes. That's taxing. Is there any mamas in the house who say, Lord, have mercy, preacher? I feel what you're talking about here. I'm washing this underwear, cooking these meals, and they coming home in the afternoon taking a nap. I ain't had a nap in six months. 
Yes, ma'am. God be with you. And I've been saying a lot of things because we're just going to take a little victory lap right here. There are people that you want them to love you, affirm you, and approve of you, and you need to hear me. Most of them never will. But, but, if you will lay down, I have to have that person to love me and affirm me and champion me. Here's what God says. If you will let that go, I got something for you. I need to let some Davids who have been in process know that you may have wanted Saul to love you. You wanted Jonathan to love you. You wanted Jesse to love you. You wanted Eliab and them stuck-up, snotty-nosed older brothers to love you. You wanted your old wife, Michael, to love you. She wouldn't love you more than her daddy. You wanted all them to love you, and they wouldn't do it. And God says, I know, baby. I know it's tough, but guess what? If you'll just keep following me, don't lose your head. I got an Abigail waiting around the corner. I need to let somebody in here know today, you may not have seen them yet. You may not have heard their voice yet, but please hear what I'm about to say. There is someone that God is bringing to you that they will not just love you, champion you, and encourage you, although they will. They will put their money where their mouth is, they will, they will get behind you and they will believe in not just what you've done, but the God identity that he has placed on the inside of you. I need to remind somebody today, keep trusting in the Lord. There is an Abigail for you. Now, I want to tell you three things really quickly about Abigail. So now we have transitioned into focusing on Abigail and her actions. And there are three things that we want to look at to help, help us understand what is petition, how does it work, because I need this knowledge in my life. And so how do you know that Abigail had a need? David had a need. He needed food. Abigail's need was I need my people to not be slaughtered. I need to stop a bloodbath. I really hope that you can hear what I'm about to say. Needs of desperation always drive us apart. Needs of desperation drive us apart. Let me use geopolitics as a great case study. You can't have two number one nations in the world. You just can't. If one nation says, I got to be the biggest and the baddest and the strongest, that's great as long as nobody else thinks that. But if another nation rises up and says, no, we got to be the biggest and the baddest and the strongest, we have to be, then guess what just happened? These two are not going to get along anymore because we're both desperate. We both have a need that if that need is not met, we can't be friends. Did you know that that's how it works in a marriage? When two people become desperate, when the needs are desperate, what happens? The divide between us grows. 
you will struggle to identify and relate to other people in your life as long as you are focused on your need. I'll try that over here. You will struggle to hear, to identify, and to connect with other people in your life as long as you are focused on your needs. And so I want to teach you the first principle of petition is this. Close the distance. Close the distance. In verse 20 it says, As she rode on her donkey, she went down under the cover of the hill. We usually have two ways that we respond to need. Most of us, when we have a need that we're afraid or we're desperate or it has not been met, we start to pout. Lots of powders over here. That was hurtful. I'm sorry. Let me go over here. There were, there are, our response to a need is to pout. What's he going to come over here and kill all my people for? I didn't even know his people were here. And it's my mean old husband's fault. He's such an ignoramus, a nincompoop. He sent them away, and now we're all going to die. Well, here's how life works, sweetheart. You can sit there and pout, or you can get on your donkey and go do something about it. <laughs> okay. You can go to God and pout. God... It was you who asked me to become a king out here in the wilderness, and it's been so hard, and you won't give me no help. And it's just, it's your fault, God. I mean, you won't. My mom and daddy was crazy. They didn't have no money. You didn't send me to college, and you put me to working in this church where everybody has a PhD, and the pastor is the best preacher communicator ever. His, you had me marry the youngest daughter. She come along when her daddy had money, and I ain't got no money. And my daddy is a redneck hillbilly who's kind of rough around the edges, and I'm rough around the edges. I've never been to a fancy restaurant. I don't have a nice car. All I know is about running around the woods. God, why do you want me to do this? Pout, 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 pout. And when you pout, God, the creator of time, pulls out his watch and he's like, okay, we're waiting. We're waiting. Guess what? You can sit in your pout or you can pack up your donkey and go do something. Let me tell you something. You have a superpower called free will and free choice. Oh, I'm getting excited now. Your life will go in the direction of the friends that you have, the books that you read, and the decisions that you make. Guess what? You have your hand on a great steering wheel of a ship called your life, your destiny, and your purpose. The Holy Spirit is your compass. God is the wind in your sails. And if you will get out of the hammock in the captain's quarters, get up on the deck where you belong, put your hand on the wheel, and get the direction, find the wind, and say, I'm going on. You can go. The first step of making a proper petition is to close the distance. If there is a difficulty in your marriage, quit pouting in the closet with silent treatment. There's a lot of people who've been married 20 years that we revert to three and four year old behavior when we don't get our way. 
Whew, I'm making all y'all upset over here. Much more receptive with the veterans over here today. And so you can pout in the closet, or you know what men we like to do? We don't give silent treatment, but what do we do? We work ourselves into numb exhaustion on the job when we come home. I I worked so hard today, I ain't got nothing to give. So I give all my outlet over here instead of coming home and giving it to what is most important. We've got a million ways that we pout and posture and justify our childish behavior. When the gap grows and we have a need, lay down your need and close the distance. Go to your wife and say, baby, I don't even know if I know what I did, but I don't want this. I am sorry. You'll never resolve a difficulty with your mouth shut. Now, just a little word of advice, man. Sometimes you prepare the battlefield with an airstrike of flowers, send some flowers, and then go. <laughs> Thought I'd have a little more help from the ladies right there. Guess what? If there's tension between, between you and your boss, quit talking to Susan at the water cooler about it. Oh, I like that, don't you? Quit, quit bad-mouthing the manager. Get up off of your pouting chair. Get out of the break room, put your Pop-Tarts down, and close the distance. Say, boss, you're the boss. I work for you. It seems tense, but I'm here to solve it. I'm here to make it better. Close the distance. You know, you got to do the same thing with God. Well, I'm about to make it real. See, I'm on the warpath right here. I felt this last night when I was writing it. Do you know that a lot of us, we like to think that pouting gets God's attention? God don't mess with pouting. He doesn't mess with you sulking. This is hillbilly, okay, but just hang with me. He don't like you sulking like a possum. Now, see, I grew up around possums, and what do possums do? All the time, they look like this. You run around eating garbage, mad at the world. And when you go, hey, possum, what do they do? And they curl up in a ball. Quit doing that. You're not a possum. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Quit going to God and saying, God, why did you give me this crazy woman? Why did you give me these crazy kids? No. Go into your prayer closet and say, God, you're the answer. I've got to get close to you. God, the only thing I want more than my own pain is I want you. I want your presence. Pain doesn't make you better. God's presence does. You want God to do something great in your life? Draw near to God. I'm going to be really straight with you. My, my, my natural parents who are ministers and my spiritual parents taught me this. That when you got a need and you need God to give you a breakthrough... Don't sit on the back row and hope and wish and play spiritual lottery. You push people out of the way if you have to, and you get to the altar for yourself. So I heard old-timers say, you grab hold of the horns of the altar. You come down here for yourself, and you can't worry about what people say about you, think about you, whisper about you, because guess what? They can't give you the breakthrough you're looking for anyway. 
You got to come down to the altar for yourself and say, God, I'm closing the gap. I'm not going to sit in this mess anymore. I'm not going to give up. I am going, I'm going to get a hold of God and I'm not going to let go until God does something. I got to close the gap. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and a help of need. Any voice that would whisper in your ear, you don't deserve to be up there. You don't deserve to ask God for help. You brought this on yourself. You hear me, dear friend? That is a lie of the enemy that is trying to put shame on you. The truth of God's word says that whether you've known him 50 years or five seconds, whether you're a saint or a sinner, because of Jesus Christ, you can run into the holy place. You can run into the throne room. You can run into his presence and say, Father God, I got a need. I need you. You got to close the gap. All right, number two, verse 23. She dismounted quickly, fell on her face, and bowed down to the ground. Second key of petition is posture. Posture. So it's one thing to close the gap, but you can do the right thing the wrong way. You can do the right thing the wrong way. So when you come, you better come correct. Anybody got any soul power in here for what I just said? When you say my name, you better put some respect on it. Now, I'm being a little bit silly, but there's some truth right there. Because she could have rode her donkey with all of her food and said, David, let me tell you. And now, how do you think that would have went? I don't even know that she'd have made it to David. One of David's men may have grabbed her and drug her around by the hair on her head. Because you got to remember, these guys right here are pretty salty. They're not housebroken. Okay? They have not been read into the feminist movement. So I just... Just in general, in the Old Testament, that wasn't a thing. And I'm betting these wilderness boys, that was not on their radar to be gentlemen or to be knightly or well-behaved. That was not on their radar. They said, who is this crazy woman right here? You don't worry about this, David. We got this. Okay? But Abigail understood. I'm not just dealing with a warrior. I'm dealing with a king in process. Now, hear what I'm about to say. If you want your petition to be successful, you need the correct posture. Abigail's posture, the reason why I pulled this, she says many, many things in this passage, but the reason why I focused on that she fell to her face and she bowed down to the ground. The imagery is is that she's on her knees and she bows down with her face in the dirt. So her posture is reflective of her attitude. So your solution is not to go into your boss's office and get down on your hands and knees and put your face on the carpet. He's going to go, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? But what you do want is the attitude of humility. The attitude of humility. Her posture was a posture of humility. When you are in humility, you make yourself lower 
than the other person. So what is one of the things that Abigail cries out? Lord, let this iniquity, let this wrongdoing, let it be on me. Was Abigail responsible for this bad situation? No, she didn't even know. The damage had already been done. But now let me teach you something about humility. Humility doesn't want to place blame. It wants to take responsibility. Who I like that right there. See, a lot of times our pride wants to point our finger and go, well, I might meet you in the middle, but you did this. You said that. You never, you always, you, 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 you. Humility will bow down and say, let this be on me. I will take responsibility for this wrongdoing that has happened. There would be great peace and prosperity in the world if people would quit pointing their finger at their perceived adversaries and they would go to them in humility and say, I will take responsibility. I don't want to point out the problem. I want to become a part of the solution. Let this iniquity be on me. There's some marriages in here. You can have a breakthrough if one of you will be willing to put down your armor, put down your sword, and put down your perfect argument that you've been rehearsing in the shower for six months. If you will lay that down. Listen, the, con the conditioner bottle that you've been talking to always agrees with you. But that conditioner bottle is not holding you and comforting you in the dark. So quit talking to the conditioner bottle. Close the gap and go to your spouse and say, Baby, I don't know what this tension is. Tell me what I can do to solve it. What do you need from me? Whatever you say you want, if I can give it, I will. What starts to happen in a marriage? That's somebody who loves me. Because they'll lay down their pride for me. This woman right here is a very, very special woman. There's many things that I love her for, cherish her for. The reason why I esteem her so deeply is because there was a time in our life when it would have been easier for her to leave me than to stay with me. So you thought we were going to play nice in church today. But she chose the more difficult path with seemingly very little reward. People judged her, talked about her. I can't believe you would. He's a mess. He's a wreck. I'd pack them kids and I'd go to another state. But what did she say? No, I will lay down my pride and I will do what God wants and I will stay and be part of the solution instead of pointing out the problem. So here's what I know. Number one, I love her more than sharks love blood. But number two, I know this, that God will keep us. If he kept us through that, he'll keep us in the good times. But number three, now you hear what I'm about to say. Because I've watched her lay down her pride, I know this. People will come and go. Buildings, titles, all that comes and goes. But if she'll lay down her pride for me, she will stick with me through thick and through thin. And so guess what? When she talks, I listen my best. Because why? Them other people, they come and go. I love you all. There will come a day where we may not see each other anymore. 
But she right there, until death do us part. Guess what? There's some husbands in the room that God blessed you with the same kind of woman. That man right there, you do, you're going to be doing all right. <laughs> you, this man right here, I like that. He said, I'm going to get my blessing right here. You ain't even got to pray for me. I'm going to get my blessing. You know what? And she may have stumbled along the way. But you need to remember that time she stuck by you and she took on the posture and she, when you didn't have no money and she stayed with you, when you got fired and she stayed, and when you got mad and hollered at the kids and she didn't make it any worse, she stuck with you. You need to go and say, you know what, baby, I remember when you laid down your pride for me. I love you. Oh, my God, how am I so blessed to have someone like you. And you know what, ladies? There's some men out there. Some of y'all got some men. They've been doing the same thing for you. Now, sometimes the guys don't say as much, but guess what? They've been doing it with their hand right here. Day after day after day, working, 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 and, and they're tired, and they go to bed, and they get up in the morning, they do it all over. Why? They're willing to lay down their pride. They're willing to earn money and then give it into the hands of their family instead of drinking it and snorting it and gambling it and prostituting it. And some of us need to go to our men and say, thank you for living a life of humility. My goodness gracious. Did you know that you can't hate and be humble at the same time? I like that. You can't be humble and hate at the same time. Guess what? When you go to somebody with the correct posture, making, lowering yourself below in them, saying, I'm not going to point my finger at you. I'm not going to condemn you and point out your weaknesses. I'm coming saying, whatever the solution is, I'm going to be a part. When you put others' needs in front of your own, almost always, unless we move into severe dysfunction, almost always your need being met is right around the corner. I want to encourage some men in the home. Guess what? Men, when you are a husband and a father, you are anointed and graced by God to lead. Now, we've, many times we confuse leading with authority. We say, well, if I'm, I have the authority, I'm supposed to lead. That means I tell people what to do. Jesus said, I tell you what to do, and then I show you how to do it. He leads not just with his mouth. He leads by example. So there's some men in the home that, guess what? You need to start sowing the seeds of humility. You need to start sowing the seeds of petition and posture. And guess what? The family will follow in your footsteps. If my band will come, please. We're about to hit the third and final point. We're just going to be really excited on the way out the door. The third key of petition is prophecy. Prophecy. Elbow your neighbor and say prophecy. So I want to give some context to this word prophecy. And it simply means this. A hope field declaration of what God can do or wants to do. And so I find it so interesting this, that Abigail, she closes the gap, she goes and meets David. And when she sees him coming, she takes on the proper posture of humility. And so she says, I'm going to take responsibility. I want to be a part of the solution. But then what does she do? She's not just going to give him food for his belly. Oh, really hear what I'm about to say. She begins to prophesy about who he is, where he's going, 
and how God is going to do it. And so I want to point out one thing very specifically. So in verse 28, Abigail says this, For the Lord will certainly make my Lord, talking about David, the battles that he fought. It wasn't even the Psalms that he wrote. King David's truest legacy was God made him a promise that said, David, because you followed me and honored me and worshiped me, I will set up your seed on the throne forever. And what David probably couldn't have understood, at least as well as we do today, is that the Lord was saying, your offspring, Jesus, my son, will rule and reign forever. And so when Jesus rode into his city of Jerusalem, what did they yell? Hosanna, Hosanna, all hail, son of David. Son of David became a catchphrase for the Messiah. Did you know this? That before the prophet Nathan delivered the formal promise, a humble woman, Abigail, prophesied to David, I see that God is not just going to make you king. He's not just going to protect you and provide for you. I see that God is going to set up for you an enduring house. Hear what I'm about to say right here, friends. You need food. You need resources. You need support, emotional support. Imagine how much it would have meant for Abigail to come the way that she did. And she showed him a king's honor. Imagine how that would have made David feel, knowing God wants me to be king. And for someone to show that to you in the middle of the wilderness, you'd have been like, okay, maybe this is possible. But then she does something else entirely. When she begins to prophesy and speak to David about what God wants to do in his life, she wasn't feeding his belly. She wasn't just comforting his soul. She was speaking life into his spirit, man. You remember what I said about when you're leading 400 people, it's taxing, it's tiresome. Those 400 men, they didn't have it within them to speak up and say, David, we see, we know, we believe that God's going to make you king forever. He's going to make your offspring king forever because they're just trying to fight and survive to their next meal. I need somebody to hear me today. God will feed your belly. He'll send people to minister and to comfort your soul. But he will also send someone to speak a word into your spirit, man, that says, you stick with it, King David. Don't bail out on your process. Don't soil your hands with innocent blood like you were about to do. Stay on the path. Stay on the course because I see and I believe that God is doing something great in you. That ministered to his spirit man. When that spirit man gets ministered to, you'll be amazed at how much difficulty you can endure. And David gets a little credit. He had the wisdom to listen and to understand, I can't go around murdering my way to the throne. The real blessing of an Abigail is that they'll prophesy, they'll dream, they'll declare into your spirit man. And so in this whole exchange, Abigail has not asked for one thing except this. David, 
when God has done in you all that He wants to do, don't forget me. Don't forget me. She didn't ask him, please don't kill all these people. She hinted at it, but she didn't outright ask. She didn't say, David, I want you to remember this and pay me back with lots of gold and jewels and title. She said, no, you just remember me. Just don't forget that I was kind to you. You may fast forward the story a little bit. The next night and the next day, she goes home to Nabal. Nabal's drunk at the feast. She doesn't even tell him the first night, I went out there and took care of David so he didn't come in here and kill you. And it says that his heart was like a stone. So it quite literally leads that Nabal had a heart attack. Nabal's gone. Well, guess what? David gets word that that Nabal guy, he gone. And David, being David like he is, he said, Abigail's single at the moment. She sure was awfully nice to me. I believe I'm going to send some fellers to go check on her. The scripture tells us that Saul had given away David's wife, Michael, to another man. So David was single at the moment himself. So he sends word to Abigail. He's like, Abigail, we ain't even got to go on a date. We done had our first date. You don't get married? Look at your neighbor in real country just like that. Now, don't look at the wrong woman, men. Look at your wife that's with you. Look and say, you don't get married? Don't say, do you want to get married? That ain't right. You say, you don't get married? Do you know what Abigail's big problem was? She was married to a wicked man who was unrepentant. Now, don't walk away from this sermon day going, if I do right, God will kill my husband. <laughs> you nasty. You missed the point if that's what you walked away with. Some of y'all best start praying right there. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Strike him down. When you put others' needs in front of yours, God will always meet yours. You know what, what Abigail really needed? Her character demanded, her integrity demanded, her virtue, the depth of her soul, it demanded that she be with a man like David who was a king that wasn't born or entitled. He was made by God into a king. That he ruled with justice and strength and transparency and honesty. God looked down at Abigail and said, because you petitioned correctly, you put others in front of yourself, I'm going to give you something you could have never imagined. I'm going to bless you in ways you couldn't have dreamed. So what started as, I'm going to try to save some of my people from being murdered, turned into that her sons and her daughters were princes and princesses. The power of petition is that it radically shifts everything in your life. So my admonishment to you today 
is that when you find yourself in the wilderness, don't stray off the path. Don't take it into your own hands. Don't point your finger. Don't condemn and curse everybody around you. Close the gap. Go to the ones where the difficulty is. Come with the right posture of humility, wanting to be a part of the solution. And then speak a word into them that says, baby, I don't know how we're going to do this. But I see goodness in you. I see virtue in you. And I know that with me and you on the same team, God can do anything. Go to teammates or brothers and sisters in the aisle where there's been friction and difficulty and say, I see how you've been faithful even when you was hurt. I see how you show up on time. Go to the teammates at the workplace and say, man, you're dependable. Thank you. I wouldn't want to do this job with anybody else. And start declaring life into their spirit. Speak into your spouse. Speak into your children. Even after they fail the math test and say, man, I see God's going to do great things in you, son. I love how God's made you so creative, baby girl. You stick with that. God's going to do something amazing. Sow the gifts of prophecy, encouragement. Dream with people about what the future can look like. And guess what? The prophecy that you speak, the dream that you dream, when you help it make, when you help it come true for someone else, you get to share in the reward. So no matter where you are today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, let me speak and pray over you today. Lord, I call every member of the house today blessed. Family and visitors alike, online, in the house, I call them blessed. Now, you need to pray this along with me. Lord, we're asking today that you give us strength and grace for our process. Holy Spirit, teach us the ways of petition. Teach us the way forward through difficulty. Help us to avoid bloodshed. Lord, your scripture says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the sons of God. Lord, make us peacemakers today. Not bloodshedders, rock slingers, or blame givers, but peacemakers. Lord, I pray over marriages and over households today, and I declare peace. Over boss and employee, co-workers, servants of the house of God, children in God's family, and I declare peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for being such an amazing audience today. Holly and I love you. The team loves you. God loves you. And there ain't nothing you can do about it. So we release you. Hope you have a blessed afternoon. Go and be blessed.